Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast, the official podcast of thepinksmoke.com, co-founded by myself, John Cribbs, and my good friend, Christopher A. Funderburg. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great today, John. I am so excited to record this episode. Me too. We've got a very special, very cool, very smart and sexy guest coming at us live as filmmaker, Bill Tech. How you doing, Mr. Tech? Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy to be with the two sexiest fellas in podcasting, Chris and John. I'm a pink smoke fanatic. That is such a low bar to clear, like a low bar. <laughs> the sexiest podcaster. John, we very well might be. We very well might. I can make be. a claim that you guys are. I could. Well, when, the, when you remember that Dolly Parton has a podcast, I mean. Does she? Know, it depends. I, I would listen. Yeah, she has one on murder ballads. Whoa, really? Yeah. Well, really? yeah, now. Very hold on, everybody. Stop what you're doing right now. Go look that up. That's my <laughs> advice. Yeah, forget about that. I thought I was going to be on with Dolly. Fuck you. <laughs> We're, you're actually, this is our sliced alone cast, and you're going to be on talking about Rhinestone today. Did we make Ooh. that clear? So I'm it's ready. Dolly related. We're making that audible, that's for sure. I'm ready. Just want ready. to know what you think about Drunkenstein is our main oh, question for today. Goodness gracious. Directed by Bob Clark. Isn't that a, a, a hoot? He's by the way, I love it. Can I, can I cuss on here or no? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, this is not family friendly at all. It's family antagonistic podcast. <laughs> you got your kids in the room. We hate them. We hate your kids. I'm a regular listener, as you know. I know, I know. I'm surprised you don't know more about my, my potty mouth. John, do you want to take the lead? What are we talking about tonight? Why do we have the great Mr. Bill Tech on here? Do you want to give some of Bill Tech's biography and background to explain to listeners who might not be familiar with him? I would love to. Mr. Bill Tech is the filmmaker of a little film called One Day Since Yesterday, which is a phenomenal film about the making of Peter Badanovich's They All Laughed itself, a phenomenal film. Um, yes. One and, of the great films about filmmaking docs, if you ask me. It's like up there with not even filmmaking, sort of like the curatorial artistic mindset. For some reason, I put it in with like Z Channel and Los Angeles plays itself. Like it's, it's very much part of that sort of triptych of films to me in some way. It's a f movie about films for people who love films. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not uh, the kind of packaged, studio-financed, a supplement that you'll find on so many DVDs. It's a real labor of love. It's a real work of passion about everything that goes into a film, every emotional and personal thing that goes into it. So. Yeah, what could easily be sort of like a Criterion Collection style electronic press kit remembering a good movie. Or, you know, it's not that. It's it's much richer and deeper than that. And uh, one of the movies that, you know, I'm really uh, excited to have been introduced to and, and seen and gotten to know Mr. Tech as a result somewhat. That means a lot to me, you guys, because obviously I think the world of your opinions and I, I read the site and I read your writing and I've, I've been lucky enough to glimpse some of the stuff you've worked on and you're super. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll say that it's, it's a true honor to hear you guys say that. And Z Channel, it's funny you should mention, was the movie that I kind of modeled it on. Everything that Zan Cassavetes did, I wound up at a party she was at. Yeah. I told my buddy, if you see Zan Cassavetes, I want to tell her how much I owe her and how great her movie Z Channel is and why I modeled everything kind of like on what she did. And um, at the end of the party, I'm like, man, Zan wasn't here. He's like, oh, she was here. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I smoked a cigarette with her outside. She was super cool. She was I'm like, you 
Jerry, you go ahead and tell her. You, well, you know, I, I met her. We screened Z-Channel at, when I was programming a, a repertory movie theater, and I got to speak with her afterwards. Stunning person. I, I don't know what, what I was expecting, but sort of like so impressive, just like tall and super stylish and beautiful and super intelligent. It was just like, oh, no. Let me get out of this conversation before I humiliate myself. Was sort that, of my reaction to her. I, I, I agree. I agree. I've glimpsed her from afar. I'm in awe of her and her talent. She, she. I just can't wait for more movies, more docs. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She, she should be. Uh, somebody needs to be pushing her towards it. I don't know how to phrase this. I just feel like you know I'm ready for the next thing from her. But Tech, I want to put on the record something I've wanted to ask you for a long time. Now, be honest. Isn't it true that you originally wanted to make a documentary about Bogdanovich's mask? No, are you kidding? <laughs> yes, John well, is kidding. But you know what? But you know what? There's a big section in, in uh, One Day Since Yesterday. And it was Man. a lot bigger. And I've been oh. threatening to send you guys what we showed at Venice when we showed at Vienna. Vienna, they called it, not dragon, a highlight of the uh, Vienna Film Festival. Venice had had like technical problems that the editor yeah. screwed up, but not the editor that's credited with it. That guy's awesome. Um, Bill Berg Hillinger and, and, um, and Mario Pascual Nombela. Those guys saved the day, but the original guy kind of messed it up. And But what we showed in Vienna was, at the Vienna was really, really cool and much, much longer. And, yeah. and it has a much longer mask section. And, and when, even in Italy, even in a weird form, a couple of people come up to me like, it's so sad. It's too sad. It gets sad and then it gets sadder for 30 more minutes. Like, you got to cut it. It's too sad. I also not a blurb on the poster. Too sad for Italy. <laughs> it, oh, too sad. But not too sad for Vienna, by the way. Yeah. Ah. They like them sad over there. They were, they, were, they, were, they were cool with it. But everybody was like, this is really sad. And then it gets sadder and sadder and sadder. But I'll say the mask. It's so was- bittersweet. It's so beautiful that to me, I'm not overwhelmed by the sadness of it. It's not a movie that's a bummer at all. You know what I mean? Like there's so much love in the movie. Thank that's you. It's really felt, you know. Um, and I love the way you handle things like that. You know, obviously it's about, Dorothy Stratton and no small part, but just leaves the crime out of it completely. Like you don't even hear that fuckface's name. You know, yeah, what I, I never mean? said his name. Yeah, just like in they all laughed, they don't say his name. And I wanted to tip my hat that it was kind of like a a fat. It was yeah, fuck that guy. And I, he just doesn't even need to exist. Her memory can exist. He doesn't get to be part of it. I couldn't you know? agree with you more. And and it and and it. I did wanted to make it very clear. This is not hard copy. And. It, it, and I took that note from from Zan and her beautiful movie, which which says, "Hey, this is about you know what 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 Jer- Jerry Harvey was doing his art and the reason yeah. you're watching, it, not this tragic thing that happened. With yeah. The tragedy's dealt with, but it's not exploitive, and that was a great example to follow. Um, but there was a there was a lot of mask and a lot of mask stuff that I took out. My favorite thing that I had to lose was was uh, was people kind of talking about mask. <laughs> you yeah. know, people like these are biker." gang but they're very polite for bikers <laughs> <laughs> i think even john waters called them the wimpiest biker gang of all time yeah wes anderson was like this is like they're really polite guys and they're like hello how are you let's go donate blood um so you, so so we have it on record now 
who was a mask documentary that just turned into a they all lived all there out was, documentary. There was lots of mask in there, man. Lots of mask. <laughs> it's interesting. I think that mask stuff is interesting, though, and tying it in with the Bruce Springsteen song and what it meant to him. I think that that stuff is all very fascinating. And, you know, uh, I know we're not allowed to talk about your current project, but that points towards what you're working on now, which is a more music-related documentary. More music-related, and I'm not saying that, that uh, Mr. Springsteen's in it, but he may have a part in it, and lots of cool people like that have a part in it, and uh, we were actually going to interview him. He's not him. in it, but he has a part. He's the boom operator. Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> Bork seems there. But the... the, um, the Blue-collar kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, you know, with with Mask, um, the I've seen all the notes that went back and forth yeah. between Peter and even later when he's trying to kind of mend fences with not all that, not all that's in the movie with Bob Seger and Bob's management. Um, just Bob's a friend of Bruce's. And then we're all yeah. like, hey, Pete, you know, we could have just called Bob. We could, we could go about this a different way. <laughs> you got a letter signed by 20 directors, including Billy Wilder, who, who you know, um, and, uh, and um, those, those notes go back and forth. And actually, I'll tell you a secret, just a little pink smoke secret. Some of the cool music cues in Mask may be notes from Bruce. Like, hey, man, try this song. Try oh, a little Richard interesting. Here. Try Gary here. Try this there. That's fascinating. And, and, and Peter saying, hey, thank you for that, you know, and, and, and hopefully one day we'll get, we'll be able to do it the way I wanted to do it. That's really interesting. That's it's weird really how Bruce has all these behind the scenes, like real behind the curtains film work in the mid eighties. I mean, until you told me, I had no idea that Light of Day was set up as his star debut. He was going to star in the movie and write all the songs and everything. Oh my God, that makes Peter. that movie make sense. It makes much more sense <laughs> now, yeah. Do you guys know how that worked out? If you ever had the vinyl, you guys are a little younger than me, and I'm being generous, of, the, of Born in the USA, you pulled it out, and it was the red and white on the cover with his ass mm -hmm. on the thing, and you pulled it out, and then the sleeve was blue, and I said, bon viaggio, mio fratello, little Steven, the bon voyage, little Steven, and then it said, yeah. thank you, Paul Schrader. Mm. And that's all it oh. said. And Paul Schrader said that he had sent him the script, Born in the USA, Previously, Bruce had befriended Ron Kovic, who had written Born on the Fourth of July, and Bruce yeah. gave need money for uh, the Vietnam Veterans of America through a series of concerts yeah. for Vietnam veterans. And and he had befriended Ron. I guess he didn't want to call the song Born on the Fourth of July. He got this script. He's like, man, I never even cracked it, but I looked at that title for six months, and I kind of used it, and Paul Schrader was like, I just saw it at a record store. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and then apparently Bruce, to make up for it, gave him the song Light of Day, which, which Joan Jett sings. And after we, after we rap, I'll send you both Bruce and Joan doing it at a, at a benefit, which is really, really, oh, really I got yeah. to meet Joan Jett on this new project. She's as cool as you would think she is. I would think she's extremely cool. So she it's is good, the it's good that fucking coolest person I've ever met. Really? Yeah, I saw her do Rocky Horror, uh, Horror Picture Show a few years ago, and she was just dynamite. She's, she's so good. Cool. Very cool. Now I'm trying to think about the coolest person I've ever met. I'm, I'm like allergic to cool, so, uh, so I have no like memories of that. Little Steven um, might, be, might edge her out and cool. He might be a little yeah. bit, but just barely, because she's pretty cool. That I can see. That that's a that's a very high bar. To I said, yeah, uh, no kidding. On this project, I said, Stevie, who's who's your favorite uh, director you worked with on Sopranos? He goes, Well, you know, not, not, not for nothing, but uh, not because of you. I'm just saying, but not for nothing, but uh, Peter. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just knows how to make, talk to the actors. He knows how to block the scene. You know what I mean? He just knows. Yeah. Uh, I should, you know, probably shouldn't say that, but too late. Well, you know, it's out there. <laughs> too late. There's no way to stop people from hearing it. 
This Too is late. Going out live right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into our topic, guys. If you're up for it, it's uh, a new film we're going to be talking about. It's the new film from Mr. Clint Eastwood. A little film called Richard Jewell. Now, guys, I know last year we tried to get something going with Clint's new movie, The Mule. What was what's the story with that? I don't even remember. Tech, what happened there? Well, I've had I've had two adult beverages and then gone to the movies in New York only twice. Usually, I see movies yeah. Stone Cold Sober. One was Mr. Cribs. I enjoyed an adult beverage, and we went and we saw um, the Robert Altman movie, uh, California oh, Split. Split. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. one of my favorite moments ever because I got to see it with you, John, and I got to see one of my favorite movies. I was supposed to come out for that and didn't for some yeah. reason. We missed you, sir. Yeah, and then. Two was uh, Funderburg and I went for a brew. I had an adult beverage, and then I went to go see the Mule with you because we were going to talk about it on the show. Yes, yeah, we yes. know. You know, just to make clear, you're a filmmaker. You don't have any relationship to Eastwood or Malpaso. You're just like us. You're an Eastwood fan, and so uh, I'm a big fan. I have no relationship to Eastwood or Malpaso, but I I did nickname uh, an old friend of mine Malpaso. Which means oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> interesting, interesting. And I did. And my dad, my dad did take me to see Every Which Way But Loose at the Elks Lodge benefit, like six months <laughs> when I was like whatever age, ten. Yeah, I have also. I met Eastwood very briefly again. He was a guest at the Burns. John, did you get to interact with him more when he was there than me? Uh, well interact i mean i what happened was it was mystic river he was there for yes. but they were you, uh, you guys at the same time in the opposite theater were showing the outlaw josie wales that's where i came to see with our friend mr paul cooney and to the delight of everyone when the lights came up the film was over everyone had a great time mr clint eastwood walks in to say hi to everybody which unannounced is unannounced just the classiest oh. goddamn thing unlike a unlike a Saturday afternoon screening at two o'clock of Outlaw Josie Wales. Can you just, imagine? Just came in to say hi and thanks for watching my, you know, 30 year old movie. And it was Aww. just, it was just great. I mean, he's one of those guys, you just feel the, you feel the star aura coming off of him. You know? Yeah. So. Very, very charismatic. You feel it before he walks large. into the room. Yes. It's crazy. With the big movie stars, there's like a physical, force field around them you know like isabella rossellini is hard to be within 10 feet of you know it's like being near a nuclear reactor or something you just like start shaking and are like oh my god what's happening i'm not impressed by anyone but i gotta get out of here you know eastwood has that same sort of room filling aura that's very impressive but so just retro retroactively uh bill what did you think of the mule did you were you a fan of that one um, and we didn't get to talk about it because I got very ill. So you guys have yes. tackled it on your own. And I apologize for being ill and I spent the day at uh, urgent care. Anyway, that's the only Damn thing that would keep you, me Bill That would only thing that would keep me from the Pink Smoke podcast. I enjoyed the heck out of the mule. Um, I loved um, the way he filmed himself. I think a lot of the stuff about aging was really cool. Just how brave he was. And people throw that word around. But I thought it was pretty brave the way he shot him yeah. with his arm and his body and I was really pleased because the, the thing about Clint and you talk about him being so iconic is that for the last you know since he stopped working with Don and, and Sergio Leone he's been in charge more than any other actor of maybe Stallone of his own iconic 
shots. So those I like in in when that camera comes in low and unforgiven, it's like he knows how to make himself iconic and film himself in an iconic way more than anyone else. If Sly's doing it, he's probably taking a cue from Clinton. I think Clint's done it more often. Yeah. Um and he's and it's in a more there's something about it that's just like different when Clint does it. And um I love Stallone too, but it's a whole nother animal when he does it. And it's it's um I mean, I just love the way he films himself. And there he was kind of really taking all that apart. And, and, and it, you know, his movies are always, there's always so many levels to it. So I enjoyed the whole kind of old people as outlaw kind of thing and the whole ageism issue. And I dug all that. I wasn't crazy about the melodramatic parts with Diane Weist. Those yeah. I would have, I would have think he'll use a second pass, but I loved well, the other frequently stuff. the case with Eastwood movies where he will have a strand or a subplot that's easy to forget because of how out of place it is in the, in the rest of the film. You know, the, the classic example is like the goofball comedy that invades a perfect world. You know what I mean? Where it's I like, mean, oh, yeah, the trailer gets unhitched and goes downhill. And there's like a like, whoa, like reaction <laughs> shot, you know? Like, I thought you were going to say that. I, yeah, that's the first thing I thought of also. Yeah. And to me in Mystic River, like all of the stuff with Kevin Bacon and his ex-wife, who's like a pair of lips on the phone. That's just like, what is this doing in this movie? You know, get this out of here that I don't necessarily, you know, um, you know, to be like, oh, I hate that stuff and it shouldn't be in there is true. But at the same time, like, it's become an artistic quirk. And now it's sort of something that I just accept when it shows up, like in The Mule, where it's like there's this other thing that feels almost unrelated to the main story that I just accept. That's what he does, you know? That's very interesting. It's a very interesting way to put it. Yeah. So the I'm, new movie, boys, if we can uh, talk about it. Richard Jewell, uh, obviously based on a true story, based on the uh, 1996 Centennial Olympic Park bombing and the security guard who discovered the bomb and then was subsequently uh, railroaded uh, as the main suspect through the media uh, by the FBI. I don't know about you guys, but this movie convinced me he's guilty. He totally did it. <laughs> <laughs> Clint totally convinced me. <laughs> this movie does, you know, you go into it feeling like, God, this guy was railroaded and this is really one of like the great uh, tragedies of, of the media going after somebody and getting it entirely wrong and piling it on in American history. But then I had the same reaction watching this movie of like, God, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't make a good case for himself. You know what I mean? Like if you presented who he is nowadays, and that's one of the real things that I think is going to be difficult to talk about and sort of maybe on eggshells is Clint Eastwood is obviously not beloved by a healthy swatch of the population anymore because he is a conservative. He's a Republican. And talking about politics and navigating the politics of Eastwood movies is kind of... Um, difficult you know and sort of separating what he is as a guy who's you know like the mayor of palm springs versus what he is as a filmmaker and the sort of warring ideas within his films and how they play out taking them apart you know there's definitely reason to not give him benefit of the doubt based on what he is as a person and you know why you do or do not is a difficult issue if you just in that context if you take what the media in this film 
convicts Richard Jewell on of being associated with sort of gun groups, of being a gun nut, of being a failed cop, of being sort of a, a little bit of, if not a homophobe, then then a um, homo antipathetic, you know, personality, uh, and being a bit of a loner and an outsider and living with his mom. That is the profile that people use now for shooters. You know, that he fits the profile of sort of the domestic terrorism, as it's called, that's become more and more prevalent in the years subsequent to this. And so it is fascinating to watch it now and be like, dude fits the profile 100%. And look at this film in that sort of context of where reality has gone since its making. And sort of um, (laughs) to navigate around that is a bit of a strange thing uh, in a lot of ways. And I feel like upfront needs to be... (laughs) needs to be sort of addressed head on. It does. And I, I think that that is important. I think obviously that you could fit this movie into a trilogy of uh, the don't say this white man isn't a hero. He's a hero. God damn it. That goes along with American sniper and uh, Sully. But yeah. at the same time, you have to remember that this movie switched hands quite a bit. It was supposed to be Paul Greengrass at first directing it. And then Ezra Edelman and then David o- o. Russell was involved. It was going to be, I think, um, Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio starring in the movie, playing the Jewel and the Lawyer. Um, but so it's not something that I think is a passion, was maybe not a passion project for Eastwood. And he's, you know, not a super artistic director. He's not someone who really pushes Flashy, his I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Onto, onto a film. So I guess I go into this knowing that there'd be some, you know, contemporary thoughts on Eastwood, you know, are going to come up in here, but at the same time thinking this is more like a journeyman film for him that he's yeah. kind of taken over this project. And it's David O. Russell was involved is funny. Cause you can just picture this movie constructed entirely out of the family from the fighter. You know what I mean? Yeah, that just yeah. like cartoonish, you know? Um, <laughs> and that also makes me think of the family in, um, million dollar baby another cartoon element that sort of seeps into a movie it doesn't belong in you know yeah Uh, and sort of make that connection you know for me i didn't i don't john i don't know that i agree because um i felt it was very in line i didn't feel the journeyman thing at all i felt it was much more cohesive and much more sophisticated i'd Dug the movie a ton, and yeah, I thought it was too. Um, much more well structured than, say, the Mule. Oh yeah, and, let me let me just let me just say, Jack. I by some way say journeyman. I don't mean not well constructed. You know, I don't mean that it was bad. I just meant that Eastwood doesn't push his personality. I, I just think. I, I disagree, though. I'm sorry. I didn't know what oh, you no, meant. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I agree well, with I did, on Bill's side, but we can I talk. didn't know what you meant, but I thought he just did it so sophisticated. To me, that's the part that really impressed me was, for me, the Olivia Wilde character, uh, at the end when she cries, you're like, okay, well, that was good. And I kind of came around a little bit there. I'm like, oh, she's not a complete caricature. That was, for me, the part that stands out, like the, you know, the, the say the melodrama with Diane Weist or the the situation in a perfect world. The part that doesn't quite, it's not quite cohesive with this other really kind of artful, subtle movie. It's the so, Kathy Scruggs subplot. Yeah, because she's uh-huh. so, I mean, it's almost like he said, you know what, they're going to come after me anyway? F it. 
I'm just gonna make this chick the most yeah. shrill. This woman's gonna be the most shrill character in the world, and just you know, the sort of caricature of. And we've already seen the blowback and in, in the press and so forth from that. Um, but but uh, and and even even when he's framing the scenes in the um, towards the end where he's got the Confederate flag kind of behind yeah, hanging it, out in the but background. it's all the time it's not like he said one shot or two shots or three. it's this he's like whatever you do make sure that confederate flag's in the shot and i know what he's saying he's not saying yay confederate flag he's saying these things were there or i assume he's saying these things were there we're going to show them we're not taking this is how it looked at this time of but he's definitely like they're going to come after us anyway i'm going to show it and you see that kind of and it's oh. in a governmental building too which i think is also pointed which i think is part of the interesting politics of this movie it, you know? yeah, which are all over the place and i thought yes. you know when he when he has the right behind sam rockwell he has the i trust the terrorists more than i trust the government yeah and i'm more and afraid of the government than i am of the terrorists and that's in keeping with that outlaw thing where like the hero of the movie's kind of an outlaw and he yeah. he or the the mule in, in this one you know he's it's he's got that kind of healthy distrust of the government that i think is appealing among a lot of conservatives that it's like yeah i don't agree with half the stuff you're saying but yeah i don't trust the government that much either no matter who's in charge and yeah. um and so those i think he was just subtle like when when he says like are you a member he's going down the list of the things what about the nra and he's like the nra is a fringe group and i was like yeah. whoa did he just pop that in there you know like yeah. <laughs> i appreciated how skillfully he was doing it as opposed to hitting you over the head with it and, yeah. and not to harken back to the mule, but it's got that same bit when he runs into the, the, the girl, the girl biker gang. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, there's like these lesbian group of bikers and he has a little tete-a-tete with them and it's interesting. And the way he handles it is really kind of, he's doing something political and it's weird yes. because. Well, because but I would say, yeah, it's no, weird. I'm Yes, and I was gonna. That makes me think of two things. The uh, the uh, the uh, first is that one of I think that to me makes this such a quintessential Eastwood movie ties into like the Mule and Gran Torino, um, where he has a theme in a lot of his work of the surface points of identification you may have with people like politics or being a cop, a fellow man of the law, or. Um, identity politics or anything like that are illusory, right? And those things that you think bind you to other people like your race or your being of the same political party actually don't matter. What matters is whether or not you do the right thing and people reveal themselves capable of doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. And that's what matters more than all of these sort of clannish surface uh, similarities you might have from people. And that's sort of the story of this movie is that Richard Jewell realizing that law enforcement just as a concept doesn't mean anything if it's not filled up with righteousness, right? That that's the story of this movie is this guy who can't understand that he's being done wrong by the cops, by the feds, by everybody. And him understanding like, just cause they say that they're on, their, on your side doesn't mean 
that they are. Just because you have the same racial background as somebody doesn't mean that you guys are both on the same side. Just because you have the same sexuality as somebody doesn't mean you're on the same side. And I think that's one of Eastwood's consistent themes. Also, it's interesting when talking about the politics of how his films are at war with himself, going back to Dirty Harry, which he obviously didn't direct, but I think defines the strange politics of Eastwood in a lot of ways. That is a movie that is very anti-police in a lot of ways to a point where I always feel like the the sort of roll call talking about fallen police officers and the great work they do was tacked on because when they got done it was like oh shit this is like an anti-cop movie accidentally you know it's all about (laughs) how the police don't care and their bureaucracies and all of these sort of problems that they have as a more recent example but but, was definitely on purpose is Changeling which is very anti-police or Hoover right? Which is very anti-Hoover in some weird ways, right? Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, it's undeniable that like Dirty Harry's response also makes an argument for, man, these cops are terrible. That's why cops need more power. Like it's <laughs> sort of like strangely, you know, like these sort of ideas are in conflict with themselves. This is definitely, uh, Richard Jewell is definitely a movie that's strangely uh, anti-government, including anti-law enforcement, but at the same time, you don't feel like it's on the side of the things traditionally set against law enforcement, like the media or lawyers or anything like that. That what this movie is really about is there are people who do the right thing when it's time to do the right thing, and there are people who don't, and it doesn't matter what their job is, you know. Well, I think it's set up early in the film, right? When Sam Rockwell's lawyer character gives him the $100 and says, this is so you don't let it get to your head when you actually have a position of power. Yeah, don't become an asshole. You're not going to be a dick, right? Which he ignores. (laughs) Yeah, well, he doesn't get it. You know, he doesn't get it until much later in the film. Like you said, he, he always thinks that these guys, as horrible as they are, when they immediately take him over the building and try to trick him into giving him what an interrogation a confession whatever it is they're trying to get out of them even after that happens he's still trying he's less worried about them trying to get him convicted of murder and terrorism and more invested in how they see him yeah and you know forgive me if i'm a little sensitive to a heavy set loser being you know judged by uh, successful, sexy people, but <laughs> like Bill Tech, anytime he looks at me, I just feel, God. He's always trying to trick you into signing. <laughs> you both, you're both stop, fishing. Stop, stop fishing, you bastards, for compliments every five minutes. You I haven't know? said anything. You both know your studs. Everybody knows your studs. You, you know, you know, good looking, heart breaking, breaking hearts all across the East Coast for years now. Only just keep telling me, man, they're all with well. deserve to be broken. <laughs> well, you know, and rightly so. Somebody's got to do it, Chris. But I agree. I mean, I loved the portrayal that, uh, of, of, of Richard. I thought he was such an uncommon narrator. And I didn't feel yeah. like he slipped into that maudlin Forrest Gump, which is another, you know, I, that's not my kind of thing. This was like, he gives you every reason to just bash your head against the wall. Like, dude, yeah. would you not? I can only imagine seeing it with a large eye. telling him not to talk, that scene? Oh, my God. <laughs> you just can't help but being, you all need help in there? Be, be, yeah, yeah. Be, beyond the filmmaking, which I want to obviously discuss in depth, but yeah. I, I was so struck because it was such a unique 
characterization, whether the real Richard Jewell was like that or not. This guy in the movie, I, I, I reminded me of people that I've known uh, yeah. that you just go, dude, are you, what is with you? Like what? Uh, yeah. I'm, you know, great, great it, performance by Paul Walter Hauser in this role. My goodness. Terrific. I can't imagine anyone else in that. And I only, I only really know him as the Juggalo from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Whoa, so, that's who that is? That's who that is. What the hell? Wow. I, I kind of laughed at myself when he made the joke about it being his favorite band at the Olympics. Or I, I wanted to think, <laughs> oh no, is it going to be Insane Clown Posse? But, I, Jack Black and the Heart Attack, my friend. Yeah, of course. If I could only just for one, I don't want to divert it. I don't want to hijack it. I don't want to do that. But you can't say Juggalo and not say uh, Billy Tech is recommending a, recommending a movie called Family. Super good movie. Is it about juggalos? Is it a documentary? It's about a young girl who decides she wants to be a juggalo and it, and her, her aunt. It's quite funny and awesome. That's oh. crazy. And it's a documentary. No, man. Oh, it's, a, so. it's a comedy. It's a comedy? Well, I'll have to watch it then. It's quite good. I am in favor of comedies. Yeah, so checking it out. Family by Laura Steinel from last yeah. year. Yeah. Okay. okay. So good. Okay. So good. But sorry to digress. But this, so the movie, I was just blown away by the, by the, mastery of sort of just the medium of film without anything fancy but dissolves and little slow pushes and just cross-cutting and not to give anything away when when the explosion happens freaked me out i was totally freaked out my cell phone alarm went off at the exact second the bomb went off and it was like vibrated and i lost my shit yeah a little like, ting- tingler it was so fun- yes it was crazy it was at exactly 405 and i was like really uh, upset by it this movie had a very strange didn't have anything to do with this bomb what chris you didn't have anything to do with this bomb <laughs> Uh, it is strange know. that your phone would go off exactly at that time. Look, just a little me, suspicious. Me and my gay boyfriend plan this together because I'm a loser who lives with my mom. This is unquestionably what happened with it. I you was know, fired from my job as a rent-a-cop. You know, you know that reminds me of Chris is I, I can't remember the name of the woman and the the people who were involved, but the murder case that you sent me the story behind where they were like they built a case around the guy having his. Uh, gaming team as his accomplices because they all were involved in like imagination and gaming so they must be creative enough to come up with this very complicated scheme to murder his wife wow oh that story is crazy yeah god what are those guys names but just the insane kind of narratives that you know cops come up with sometimes it's just commonly held in the common knowledge boys a lot of your dungeons and dragons users are in fact, uh, cult members. I was really, I feel like one of the shocking moments, the shocking moments of my life is I went to a comic book store once with John Cribbs and Marcus that had a ton of gaming and D&D shit and they didn't know anything about any of it. Like neither of them had seen a 20-sided die before and I was like appalled that they didn't know what Shadowrun was and didn't care my opinions about how GURPS is superior to any Gygax product, you know, all of this sort of thing. I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm nerdy beyond nerds. How did this happen? <laughs> that is because you are the, re- not nerd, but you're, you're an aficionado, you're an according to Hoyle, legitimate, sanctioned you know what I mean, individual. And those other guys, they were just there for fashion, man. Yeah, I know. John Cribbs and Marcus Penn, always always throwing the fashion out at comedy. Well, not those two guys. I mean, the, <laughs> the, I mean the guys at the store, the faux nerds. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm, I'm a D and D, you know, I know all about that stuff. Yeah, but the, you know, I was so blown away by just how much the actors seem to be in. Sometimes when I watch a yes. flick, I think everybody wants to act for Clint, but it's that kind of like next year's going to be another movie. This is my 9,000 people in Woody Allen's Alice and they all come on like, okay, whatever. I'm doing this between gigs. This isn't that. Yeah. Kathy Bates was there to play. She was amazing. Yes. She's so much like my aunt in this movie. Looks and talks exactly like her. She's so similar to my mother, which gave me this very strange reaction to this movie. You know, not some, my mother is like an intellectual and a left-wing type person. I don't think that's entirely fair, but just like a little old Southern lady who like is disappointed in her son all the time and is very (laughs) easy to get to break down in tears and just sort of doesn't, doesn't, can't get over the unfairness of the world, you know? Okay, sounds like my mom a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> just a very a very gentle, sweet southern woman who just only has her mind on trying to be a good person and can't understand when bad things are happening, you know? Yeah, and I, I usually we watch movies like this, you know, I always feel manipulated or I feel that certain things are unearned or it's too much. This yeah. one got me. I was all in, except for you know, I I would have developed the uh, doesn't matter what I would do. Miss freaking Clint Eastwood's making a movie. Yeah. But, Say but, that uh, to his face, Bill. See what no, happens. Actually, you did a great <laughs> job, sir. I'd like to pull a cable for you if I can. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think you know, John. You mentioned it in that in that trilogy. I kind of. I didn't see American Sniper, so I'm uninformed. I can't speak about it. And I didn't mean to not see it. I just kind of missed it. But I thought of it more Sully and 310 to Paris and this one. Because yeah. I feel like those three pictures are sort of um, kind of trying to celebrate people, just a job well done. Yeah. Whereas American Sniper seems more sophisticated, more complicated, let me put it that way. Well, it's also American Sniper has the problem of being based on the story of somebody who, if you have any brain from the moment you encounter them, you are like, this person is full of shit. This is all lies. And that is the American Sniper guy who is just top to bottom a fucking liar. And the American Sniper does its best to paper over just things like this all smells like bullshit. The way the, who knows what the real story is, but the Olivia Wilde character in this movie, when you see her, you're like, this does not feel like what this person was like. It just doesn't. You know, it has that sort of same smell of like, I don't believe any of this with American Sniper was my reaction to it is this man is a liar. Yeah. And it's weird. Olivia Wilde has done a terrible job defending it. I don't know all of it, how she says, well, it was not my intention creating the character and creating that scene to imply that she slept with John Hamm to get the story. It's totally implied. Well, I also heard her say that it was based on a pre-existing relationship, which I feel like is understood in the movie, that it's not she meets some guy, it's some guy she was sleeping with. Yeah, they know each other, but the way it's presented in the scene where, you know... It's not not implied, it's like, I'm going to give you this for that. It's very over, and he says, this is happening. I mean, if you wanted to, I mean, this might not be a big improvement, but like, just to make it somewhat more subtle have them be in bed together already having done the deed. And then it's pillow talk, right? He's drunk and he, he lets wow, us. Wow. That's good shit. 
you know, good. like if you don't want to get in trouble, I guess Clint at this point at his age does just does not give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's also fascinating things with that character where she's like, I'm going to get a boob job maybe this year or next in the very beginning. Oh, and I'm you're like, whole... I wonder if that's like based on script research notes, what a like garish thing to put in if it is true. Oh no, just even when Sam Rockwell's like, you got a lot of balls. I mean, she's getting a lot of you know, guys, he definitely was like, I don't care. I think really Clint puts a lot of that kind of stuff on that character. And it was, he basically is like, I don't care. And I think that's an interesting choice. Like he's like, I'm going to treat her like the villain. And it may not be fashionable to have this kind of villain, but I'm going to do it. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, I didn't, it took me out of it a little bit because I thought the rest was so subtle and really like it's another movie. And then when, when, when she's on there, it's that other thing where it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We could tone this down and it'd still be just as effective. Like the, like the example of how it could have been John. I will say, I will say super quick. I mean, the the profile I've read of this woman is, you know, she was like a cop groupie and someone like a colleague of hers said, well, the, 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 the higher up, the, 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 church, the skirt she was wearing, the more she wanted the story. It's that kind of thing. Um, Interesting. I, the thing is, I don't remember any kind of kickback when, you know, uh, Katie Holmes played this exact same character in Thank You for Smoking. I know that's a fictional character and not based on yeah. a real person. Uh, it's cheesy. It's cheesy the way it's done in the movie. I, I felt cheesy and felt a little bit weird. But honestly, in terms of its effectiveness, at the end when she realizes he didn't do it when she makes the walk to the payphone and realizes he's not the guy. And you, and I kind of realized for the first time, wow, she actually thought he did it. Like yeah. she actually cared. She wasn't out to get this guy just because, just because it was good for her career. She legitimately thought she was doing something important. And yeah. that really having seen only horribleness from her up to that point, it made it a lot more effective. Yeah. I think it's I also worth thinking about the portrayal of her in this movie and the weirdness of it. And I'm not trying to defend the betrayal at all. I actually think it's, uh, the, it's this movie's weakness. It's this movie's, you know, Laura Dern in a trailer, you know, mm. um, is that the AJC, uh, the Atlanta journal constitution refused to settle with Richard Jewell. Unlike a lot of the other people, uh, that, that they went on to sue that NBC and the New York post and Piedmont college and CNN, um, all settled with him. And they were the, uh, I believe the only people who refused to settle that stood by their coverage of him, which I think, um, certainly I suspect is what draws Richard, uh, Clint Eastwood's ire a little bit is that this is the one group that refused to admit they made any mistakes and played any part in railroading this guy unfairly. In, in ruining this guy's life. I mean, flat yeah. And that, that, the, the one thing was sending him to death. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I thought did, that did, did ring true for me, not the one thing, one of the things that rang true for me, many, 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 was the newsroom portrayal. I did a lot of work at the Miami Herald in, yeah. in the 90s. And um, did you guys see Spotlight? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. The character that uh, Lee Shriver plays, you know, I worked with that dude, not closely, yeah. but I would write op-eds and I, you know, I'd say hello to him a little bit. And guy played him to a T. And so, I mean, I know these kind of... Did you know, I, just an aside, did you know Ed, Edna Buchanan? I didn't, I wish. Before your time a little bit? I, uh, yeah, before my... Well, she was probably around, but I never got to meet her or anything. Ah, uh, that's a shame. The, you know her, John, right? Like the greatest crime reporter, like the reporter of all time. 
phenomenal. So many great writers. And, you know, and Charles Wofford, as we always talk about. You yeah. Know, but, mm-hmm. but, or them news. But um, never got to meet. I wish, I wish. Um, but I was covering most of the Latino stuff. But, you know, there would be people that um, – you know, that that portrayal of like the callous reporter that doesn't really do their homework just kind of goes up. You know, there's a reason that 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 thing that and we've seen in recent years how much now that the bail's been lifted that, hey, you know what? This happens. This happens more than we thought. You know, we used to yeah. run around thinking everybody was Bob Woodward and Carl Burstein and even Bob Woodward and Carl Burstein are not Bob Woodward and Carl Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot about this is this movie. It's about explicitly directly about railroading somebody and you know i think a lot about eric uh eric errol morris has a great uh first person documentary about a guy who's a mob lawyer essentially but one of those that guy talks about is you know you have the right to a good defense no matter who you are you don't know how terrifying it is before you see a a document that says you know the u.s versus your name on it and how huge that is and what an overwhelming feeling that is. And, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting in the context of this film, I think from two different angles that certainly, um, in the modern media, what we're seeing, how what's happening with, you know, CNN and MSNBC that has become an arm of sort of the security state apparatus, how frequently they have FBI and former CIA people on sort of saying unfact checked things now is very commonplace that, that, uh, a lot of these uh, cable news institutions have become really explicit arms of um, a security state apparatus that sort of we're living in the the nightmare future that this movie predicts in some ways that it's not just a matter of getting bad tips designed to screw over guys who they don't have anything on. It's literally having guys come on talking about you know, forming the policy for how CNN and MSNBC portray uh, what's happening in Venezuela or Bolivia, right? That we're living in the future that this movie sort of uh, uh, predicts, that this movie's vision of 1996 predicts in a funny way. But it sort of doesn't hit that note very hard at all, you know, that this is not a movie that feels like, let me tell you about modern day. You know, it eschews all of that in a way that I find is really fascinating. It's a movie that feels like it could have been made like in 1998. It feels like it could have been made right after it happened. It doesn't feel like it's trying to tell you something about these times we live in at all, which I think fascinating. I also think it's fascinating how much it avoids... contextualizing this film in terms of the domestic terrorism incidents that were happening at the time and all the stuff that the FBI and DEA were doing, starting with, you know, Ruby Ridge and the Oklahoma City bombings and the Branch Davidian stuff that all immediately precedes this, which is all weirdo white guy gun nut terrorist shit is going on. But that stuff is also related to um, the media controlling those stories and it's not that david koresh was a good person but the media definitely lied and definitely misrepresented what was happening and the media present at that standoff did appalling things you know um and sort of the reaction that was coming sort of building up to this 1996 thing where the media is acting more and more as part of the state apparatus security apparatus and also lying in ways 
ways that they're getting caught lying about what happened. You know, the Ruby Ridge is a tragedy in which the victims are not great people at all. They're bad people, you know, but the media is still lying about what's going on. You know? Yeah. And there's also yeah. fascinating things. Sorry, I'll let you guys jump in. No, that's beautifully put. I was just going to agree. Yes. Um, where I think they mention Oklahoma City in this movie, and they say it's two bombers in Oklahoma City. Well, what we know now, and anyone in law enforcement agrees on, is that there were far more than two bombers. And the FBI looking to uh, make their case and get it shut down quickly and get everyone put away, reduce the number that uh, McVeigh was unquestionably part of a larger white supremacist group and had other people, potentially a dozen people, involved in the planning and execution of it on that day. There's pretty uniform agreement about that now. But that the FBI railroaded it, and they tried to control the narrative and the media story of what happened in order to both create a sense of security amongst people about what was going on and what the source of the problem is, and then create this vision of here's the source of the problem and then everybody can be reassured because we're going to shut that source of the problem down. And they get like part of the way there. This is not to argue that Timothy McVeigh is a good human being. He's one of the most unimaginably horrible human beings you can think of that what he did is unimaginably horrible, but they tried to rescript it to better suit their purposes. And this case sort of comes on the end of all of that, where when I look at what happened with Richard Jewell, it feels like the culmination of several years of panic within the American internal uh, law enforcement and intelligence communities saying that there's this right-wing uh, domestic terrorism on the rise and we've got to hit it hard and control this situation and control the story completely. And they're so locked into their mindset about it that they start focusing on this guy who's going to fit the profile for exactly the story they want to tell. And they overlook the suspect who's actually exactly what they're looking for, it turns out. Like that the literally the guy they're looking for is the guy that they're trying to make Richard Jewell out to be. Well, it's interesting, too, that a part of the Olivia Wilde controversy that's kind of sprung up, I feel, wouldn't be uh, given half as much attention if this wasn't a film specifically about vilifying the press, you know, given yes. the, the the era that we live in. Um, people probably don't realize, I mean, this is like a fake news versus yellow journalism sort of situation. Yeah. Here. Where if you say fake news, people assume you love Trump and are on the Russian payroll and all of whatever that shit is. Right. And I mean, we're talking about guys who literally compared this this man who shouldn't have even been a suspect to Wayne Williams, you know, the Atlanta child murderer. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they, they raked him across the coals completely. Um, so from a political stance, I wouldn't even say that this is a conservative view to take the media to task in this story at all. I mean, Richard Jewell appeared in Michael Moore's The Big One, which, you know, I can't think of a filmmaker less like Clint Eastwood than yes. Michael Moore. This is a story that should appeal to pretty much anybody who cares about, you know, the truth and then the way that the truth is perverted just so people can keep their jobs. It's worth mentioning this movie flopped this weekend. It's like made like $5 million. It's Eastwood's uh, biggest flop of his, you know, wide open movies. And I'm just wondering if part of the reason people are staying away is because they could, what I've been seeing it, you know, kind of prejudging it as this. Well, the politics doesn't take either side. If you are, it doesn't. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying yeah. They, they just assume that it does, but it really does not. So I'm trying. It's a typical Eastwood. Um, 
you know, sort of humanist conservative uh, view of the world, which those things seem like they'd be overtly in conflict with each other. And I think that that's a lot of people who don't actually watch Eastwood's movies refuse to believe that there's such thing as a Republican who's a humanist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who actually cares about people and can be generous to all different kinds of people. Although I would say this movie is interestingly misanthropic compared to a lot of his work. I would say that he doesn't... <laughs> this movie portrays no one in a good light. I don't know that he dislikes anybody, but there's nobody you watch this movie and you feel like, what a guy. You know what I mean? It's he like the joke you made. actively dislike anybody, I think. Yeah, but everybody is sort of shown to be like, well, this is why, this is the role these people played in their own destruction. You know, is another theme of this movie is this is the role this person played in their own fuck ups. Like even the lawyer who gets humiliated on on the uh, morning news, you know, it's like that's his own fault. You know, you don't come across thinking like, oh, he got screwed by the media. You watch that scene and he's like, oh, he didn't do his research. He's not doing a good job. He is a local ambulance chaser who's in over his head. You know, like it's his own fault. And what role do we play in our own demise is one of the things, Uh, which again, thematically, just where things are at politically, people don't want to hear about that. You know, Mm -hmm. just the idea of... um, of victim blaming, you know, that it's, it's sort of a funny thing where to put victim blaming in the Richard Jewell movie, but this, this movie builds a really convincing case for how Richard Jewell fucked himself, you know? Hmm. That's, you that, that, that's fascinating, dudes. You know, I uh, find myself agreeing completely with what you're saying. Um, you're just expressing it more beautifully than, than I could. And I think the other part of the Eastwood, one of the things that makes him such an interesting artist, as you say, is this conservative, but he's a humanist and it's these kind of contradictions at play. And it hadn't really occurred to me until you said it. And I that, you know, if you look at, say, um, Maybe conservative is the wrong word because a lot of conservatives tend to side with government, but the sort of anti-government point of view, um, which can be tremendously healthy that people that look at Ruby Ridge and say, okay, that was horribly handled and, and, or Waco or, you know, it shouldn't have let, yes, these were maybe not the kind of people we like to associate it with, but it was a, it was a crime the way it was handled. And then Waco is nightmarish. When you read the real story of Waco, it is nightmarish. It's nightmarish. And and there's some wonder, there's some cool docs. HBO had a doc in the, God, it was the late, mid nineties on it, you know, was yeah. this, we were already finding out how that was. And the media's behavior there was appalling. Oh, the things appalling. they did in person was appalling. You so know? when you, when you get to the horrors of, 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 um, Kansas, you know, the these, Oklahoma city, Oklahoma yeah. city and these other bombings that occurred, we get to those horrors. And of course, yeah, of course that's a bigger job than two guys. Not that I know anything, but now yeah. you would say, Oh my God, but look at the devastation and the, the horror of that. So in some fashion, if you were to say, well, this is a kind of extremist tract, then you'd say, well, this is the reputation of, of, of this is saying, look how bad the media is. And it's almost like he took the one event that's unimpeachably they were wrong. Yeah. Going to aggrandize that. That's not my point of view. I, but it's interesting that you could view it that way. Yeah. And then my point of view is that he's kind of making, and it's kind of shallow, but at some level, he's not that he's making him in a shallow way. This point of view that I'm going to espouse is somewhat shallow, but there's some fashion of it that's kind of like, 
let's celebrate guys that are doing their jobs well. So let's celebrate Sully, yes. who, who who was just kind of people were cordial to each other. They were on the wing of the plane. Nobody pushed anybody off. He did his job and it was awesome. And we don't celebrate those stories anymore. Yeah. I'm gonna tell that story. Or putting these three guys that 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 thwarted this this act of terrorism on the 310 to Paris. Um and making them the stars of the movie a la Audie Murphy. And he yeah. definitely understands that he's recalling Audie Murphy and these yeah. old flicks when he does that. And he has that old-fashioned sense of patriotism. And so I would say yeah. no, the, yeah. the same way that kind of, you know, um, Flags of Our Fathers and Sands of Iwo Jima are of a pair. And then in some fashion, American Sniper is the flip side of that. Like, look how far and fucked up it is although i never saw that movie but in some ways richard jewell is the anti-american sniper like yeah. okay look at this here's the other side of that but getting back to these these three kind of patriotic you know let me these this this movie's like capra could have made a movie like this i mean it wasn't yeah. quite funny or uh, warm enough in a way but it, well, at least, you know is meet john doe funny no, no, <laughs> no, it's not. And it, and he always dealt with some real pathos. I mean, it's a wonderful life. It's a depressing movie. Yes. Um, I'm always like, is really everything okay? I'm still <laughs> depressed. Is that over? Um, I, I'm totally, I'm totally buying what you're saying yeah. here, Tech. I, I love the thing I love about this movie, which is called Richard Jewell, right? Named after the character, is the portrayal of this character. When you think about Eastwood and the kind of parts he plays and the people he clearly thinks are great people he obviously would not cross the street to shake richard jewel's hand if he didn't know that one thing that he did i mean when we talk about jewel basically burying himself within the story not doing himself any favors that fitting the profile in all these different ways you know he is this unaccomplished bully living with a living with his mom who has not gotten his life together out of shape guy and, but the, but he has this one moment, this one thing that he does where he does his job well. And so he becomes a hero. Uh, Chris had mentioned, you know, uh, Errol Morse's first person earlier. I was thinking a lot of the Denny Fitch episode. Oh, my God. The Earth about the uh, man who piloted the United States, the United Airlines flight uh, 232, the DC-10 that crash landed in Sioux City, and how that's all about he was there and he knew his job and he knew what to do, and that's what you need to do to be a hero. You really just need to, if you are responsible for protecting or saving people, and if you can step up to the challenge and do that, that's all that matters. Like that's the moment in your life that counts. So even though Richard Jewell going through what he does, and at the end, he's just going to kind of go back to, you know, being a guy eating lasagna in his mom's house, playing video games. It doesn't matter because that's the point that he focuses on. And just like you said in the, the, the Paris movie, and in Sully, it's that moment that really counted. And everything after it is an interesting portrait because it's not necessarily you're a great guy every second, every day when you walk out the door, you're not a hero every time you wake up, but you're a hero for that moment. Yeah. I was going to say when you were talking about um, U.S., uh, the uh, portrayal of America, one thing that really struck me in this movie is how there's no irony in the scene where it's the Kenny Rogers concert and people are out dancing for the Olympics just in the crowd and start chanting USA. There's no irony to what the scene is whatsoever. It's like, that's a lovely evening to Quinn Eastwood. And I was yeah, thinking... It's non-judgmental. Who, yeah, but who, yeah. what filmmakers would put 
people dancing to the gambler at an Olympic ceremony in their movie in some way. This is when I think people complain about um, how middle America and Southerners are portrayed and that sort of thing, that just that kind of simple moment, it just wouldn't be in the movie, in a movie, unless it were either being like pandering and played up in some way and too maudlin and over glamorized, or if it was like an insulting joke, a crowd chanting USA. And for him to just have it be a low key, nice moment in the lives of regular people, you know, like a great night, you know, for somebody like uh, Richard Jewell's mom is fascinating. He does stuff like that that other people just simply don't. Like, it's really hard to imagine any movie that came out this year having that little moment in it of just an American flag waving in front of Kenny Rogers and not having it be a commentary other than, hey, the Olympics are bringing us all together and letting us show some national pride without being critical of that. You know, you know a funny thought I had was, oh, wow, Paul Walter Hauser is very convincingly aged, you know, from 10 years from the first scenes of the movie to the concert. And then I immediately thought, Oh, you know, Kenny Rogers, 2019 Kenny Rogers is doing a good job de-aging himself. To <laughs> 1996 Kenny Rogers. That is, uh, you know, those are great, very good observations. I agree with that. And I think when you look at that scene, those crowd scenes, that's where the mastery of like what he's doing. And I was just, I don't, obviously I, I've, I've made films about older people and I try to be very sensitive to ideas about ageism that I have. And some of yeah. our greatest directors are some of our oldest directors. But you look at that scene, you're like, what a stud like that is a beautifully shot sequence that whole thing and the, the horror of the explosion and the, the people that could that die and the way he remembers these victims and and the way it all comes together is so well done or and even with, and, and and he avoids the obvious stuff of like a crane shot goes over the crowd and we follow the bomber along when he sets you know like the hitchcock Paul Thomas Anderson bullshit. Like he's never going to have that in his movie, which is to me, that flashy stuff is easy, you know? And I know people think it's the opposite, but to have a really long shot that really calls attention to itself, anybody can do. It's just, to me, it's a fact. And having something more grounded and downbeat and uh, sort of realistic feeling and unadorned and still having it play as a tense and intense scene is a billion times harder. And I think, I think that's beautifully put. And I want to say before we get away from that scene, when in they're chanting USA, USA, it, there's a hard cut. And I believe it cuts to the to the journalists am i wrong i remember thinking wow yes yes it, it, saying something like, here yeah she like sidles up to john ham i think immediately right At, or there's a or there's a shot to like a, a different location but it's it's a garishly because no because oh yeah was, you're right you're right you're right because it, it's it not might the be it's it, the it, i remember thinking wow that's a comment like he's saying yeah. you know look at but look at this too you know, this could be, it could be this, but it could be this too. I was just reading. Um, so it's, there's some interesting stuff. And I know that when you guys do this, we don't tell personal stories per se. We can't. But, sure, but why not? There's this Richard Jewell sort of fellow, not in terms that he performed a heroic act, but he is a buddy of mine who's just the, this kind of like a little bit off, a little bit off. And you're like, dude, yeah. what, what are you thinking? I'll never forget. I'm going somewhere with this. We were at this John Mellencamp concert. And there was this drunk guy and he was just trying to take a swing at my friend. Yeah. And my friend kept saying, Hey man, who did this to you? Can I help you? How can I help you? And I was like, dude, 
He's just a drunk. He did this to himself. What's the matter with you? Yeah. Trying to help the guy. And this, that guy is the kind of guy that like, you know, like Richard Jewell, you can, you can, you can laugh your butt off about, Oh my God, who is this guy? Who is this guy? But there were certain moments when a guy like that is exactly what's needed. And even though we're talking about the film, not the person, I thought the film made kind of a good case for like, you can be a jerk and you can be, maybe you, you know, you're, you're in a hurry to say that you're not homosexual. It's not a great quality. You're in, you know, you're, you're, you have certain views that maybe we don't agree with, but there's a place for you at the table. You're not a bad guy. And you might have a moment. And I thought, well, that's unique in, in today's world. And uniqueness doesn't count. I think he did it well and that's why i was so impressed with it yeah well, that great contrast too between the two concerts the kenny rogers and the jack mack concerts where he sees the guy with carrying the alice bag right the ponytailed guy and he immediately profiles him and starts following him and it turns out of course there's just beer inside of it yeah so it's like you know on the one hand it's like well he's super into being an authority figure he's super into assuming the worst about people and mm-hmm. following this one guy but it's like that is important because one day he's going to see a bag and it's going to be a bomb and he's going to save people's lives. Uh, incidentally, you guys, you know, we're talking about Jack Mack and the heart attack or the band who's playing when the bomb goes off. They talk about there being two casualties of the bomb, right? You see the one who gets killed by the actual bomb. But you know that the other one was a cameraman who actually suffered a fatal heart attack running to the scene. Oh, no. Yeah. That's so sad. Awful yeah. and ironic i would say that's uh, so crazy yeah yeah and the poor poor the real life guy who met his end so early so young yeah At 44 yeah it is a it is a bummer of a thing and it's kathy also, also died five years after the events of this movie i beg your pardon kathy scruggs also died yeah. of overdose five years after the events that's, of this movie oh it was an overdose i didn't know that mm-hmm. prescription overdose yeah well well that's how you know it's Fits the profile. If Richard Jewell fits the profile, that fits the profile of her. <laughs> it's 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 interesting in that, in in many ways, you can look at it as a political thing, right? Like, and if you were of the bent that that was pro uh, the administration, these are all crazy things to talk about at this moment. But this argument that like this guy who's a dork and a bully and um, kind of a kind of a putz is the guy that is needed at that moment. And I'm not saying Clint Eastwood's saying that, but I'm saying he's an interesting artist because he leaves his work open to all these different interpretations and also because he's open about his own views. People yeah. glom on all these things. And I think it only failed at the box office because he's not starring in it. There's no real star. Um, and that sometimes is tricky for his movies that do that. I don't think it's that the, you know, the left, the right is staying home because they don't know it's this kind of righty movie, which it kind of is. Yeah, it might, December might not be a great time for a terrorism movie. I mean, there's a lot of things. And, I, and it's I no think. big star, really. Um, but it's not one-sided. I mean, Clint Eastwood's not one-sided. I think I completely agree with you on that. He is yeah. not, and 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 it's interesting because the, the last picture was The Mule, but that starring Clint Eastwood. I mean, yeah. it's a different thing. I think if a movie like this fails, I think with a movie that addresses all of the political live wires that this thing addresses, it needs to be for or against something 
for people to be engaged with it. And I think more than yeah. ever, this is not a, a original observation, but things are incredibly polarized now. And there's just, you know, this is the kind of movie that if you mention on social media that I'm interested in seeing Richard Jewell, people get furious at you. People get incredibly angry at you. And uh, obviously those people are not going to see it, you know, and there's no amount of, of justifying it and look at how it's affecting even Olivia Wilde's career to be in it, where there's backlash that goes to now people are, you know, hammering book smart, the film she directed because of it. It's a very strange time uh, for a film to not stake out a hard position that's appealing to one side or the other, where the people who perceive themselves on being one side and perceive what the other side is. And yet who plays John Hamm's partner in the movie? Ian Gomez who slipped his way to the top, marrying Nia Vardalos. Nobody's <laughs> called him out. You know, that's, it's, it's funny. It's funny that way, you know, and, and, and certainly Booksmart does, uh, you know, one of the main things it does is lets you know its values and where it's at and how it yes. feels about all these different things. And so you'd think that, that you'd get a, a little bit of a pass and, and just showing up as an actor to, to do your, your job, which is what this movie celebrates. Yeah. I, I also think in, in, in the calling out to the last movie, the mule that both those movies have that kind of, if, if you have old people, you have Mexican drug dealers, you have this guy who's not what we kind of consider to be, you know, um, our definition of a hero. He doesn't look like John Hamm. So yeah, it's one of those things that like the mule is kind of throwing its arms around outsiders a little bit. And that's against sophisticated filmmaking for someone who's supposed to be, you know, such a, uh, such a hard nose, you know, he's, I don't know. I thought that was pretty, um, uh, it's, it's sort of inclusive of outsiders. So yeah. Okay. They're, they did white males wrong in some fashion, but I think it's also just sort of saying, I don't think we can just look at these guys and dismiss them because, they're white males. They have their stories to tell too, you know? And I think that's valuable, especially when they're so often demonized just kind of for existing, which is also kind of a path to weirdness in my opinion. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, it's, you know, it's as with all Eastwood movies, it's, it's, uh, I think um, there's more pointed irony and more sort of, uh, that like intentional ironies, like these things I'm going to show these ideas that are in deliberate contrast to each other and I'm not taking one side or the other and more uh, uh, open-ended ironies too. sort of, I don't know how I feel about that, but I can see the other side to the story. And that's one thing that I think is very interesting about this portrayal of Richard Jewell that we keep coming back to where he just does himself no favors, you know? And, um, I think that for uh, the portrayal of like Kathy Scruggs as well, that it's just, this is somebody who does herself no favors also. And um, it's Wilde's performance, I think is also fascinating considering both of her parents are journalists that Alexander Coburn, her father is a guy who I've been reading for many years. I associate him with Whiteout, which is like the definitive history of CIA misdeeds. And it's one of the most fascinating books. So I was wondering what her perspective coming into this movie is as well with her parents being journalists but also sort of being well aware of that what the fbi is up to you know 
Well, maybe it just gave informed her in terms of what bad journalists would be like. Maybe she yes. wanted to portray someone who has no ethics, you know, having, having grown up with a family that she really respects the profession. That could be part of it, too. It was interesting to reread the article written by Marie Brenner, another female journalist, for those who think that, you know, this movie is out to get all female journalists. Um, just one. Just one she, real yeah. lady who apparently did not do what she's portrayed as doing yeah and also the other the the legal assistant nadia is the first character who believes richard jewell you know without even meeting him so it's not like this movie's out to get women um but anyway it's interesting reading the article where she barely mentions scruggs and really is not interested in you know where the source came from how this whole thing how this whole ball, ball got rolling it's just kind of, you know, portrait of Jewel himself. And then the movie sort of has this extra subplot that it tacks onto it. Two other interesting things I just got to mention from reading this article uh, that I really enjoyed. Jay Leno, you know, went after Richard Jewell when this all was happening. And one thing he yeah. said was uh, that Jewel had a scary resemblance to the guy who whacked Nancy Kerrigan. Which oh is my the, God, the character that Paul true. Walter Hauser played in I, Tanya played the, that guy. Oh my God, that's completely true. It's also something that reminds me of that um, in this book, uh, or in this movie, when they're searching his house, they pick up Outrage, right? Uh, He's like, right. that's a good book, which is Vincent Bugliosi's book on um, O.J. Simpson, Simpson getting away with murder, right? And it's fascinating to contrast it with that, you know, just to have that pointed uh aside about that's another case that was tried in the media you know and where the media it's interesting it's more complicated but again just the jay leno tie-in made me immediately think of that where the <laughs> you know what happened with oj in the media is a lot more complicated than i would say in an aside but just to have that brought up and have you think about that and remember it the way that these things become entertainment and the way the media gets people to decide who's guilty or not guilty uh is fascinating and since outrage is about you know oj simpson getting away with murder to have richard jewell interested in that book and have it somehow be held against him is fascinating yeah and it's comes up in the Brenner article as well because Richard Jewell had a group of friends who would get together and follow the OJ trial and dissect it every single night and you know try to figure out how like everything that the LAPD did wrong and what they would have done correctly so he was genuinely pissed when they confiscated his book speaking of books I noticed that Sam Rockwell is reading Lonesome Dove I just finished that book cool coincidence oh interesting Um, but the other thing I uh other interesting fact which would probably be only only be interesting to a guy like me in the Marie Brenner article was when they confiscated all of their tapes right all their Disney movies to to check them and take them away the only two movies they left him with when he was camped out in his, his apartment and wouldn't leave because of all the media you know laying siege to it were backdraft and midnight run whoa that's I mean, not a bad two, set to be worst movies to be trapped with <laughs> midnight run especially i could watch over and over yeah, again midnight run that's a good one backdraft i'm going out <laughs> Backdraft is okay. I mean, but, but I enjoy Jennifer Midnight, Jason Lee in that movie. After you've watched Midnight Run for the fifth time, you're like, God, I guess I have to just just chase this with a little backdraft real quick. <laughs> just, just to change it up. Why would they leave those two? I don't understand anything about this world we live in. <laughs> no person that, that likes Midnight Run can, you know, can possibly do harm. I like to think there's one sympathetic <laughs> one sympathetic fed there. He picked up Midnight um, Run and was like, you know what, buddy? I'm leaving this for you. Thanks, man. And you know what? I'm going to backdraft for you too. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I, 
I believe it was in Premier Magazine. It said, we'll do for firefighters what Top Gun did for pilots. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, okay, I don't want to see that. Um, may I say. Volleyball. <laughs> man, yeah, I don't care for that one. But, um, you know, that, um, that, that Paul Walter Hauser also plays the guy that attacked Nancy Kerrigan is almost a Kevin Geeks Out level. Uh, <laughs> so kudos to you on that. Um, Always inspired by Kevin and his observations. He's the man. That, well, he does look like that guy. It's not Galuli, is it? It's the other guy. It's the guy who hired the dudes to attack yeah. her. But you know, if I, if I could say anything more about that performance, it's not just the performance, which is off the chain. It's this, the amount of time and the sophistication or the complexity of the character because i feel like he's 20 times more complicated than anybody in the mule you know anybody in the mule or anybody in even gran torino those are much more one-dimensional people this is a they're they're very moving or even i tanya which is another based on a true story about someone who was sort of uh, in that movie's opinion unfairly portrayed and smeared in the media right that that movie's such a fucking cartoon compared to this, you know? And yeah, also the style is so um, look at me type style again and compared to this. That if that if you like, I think it's fair to say if you if you're into uh, stylistic divide that I Tanya's on one side and Richard Jewell is on the other. I never saw it. Stories. It's you know, it's a lot of like garish needle drops and cuts to first-person narration and people talking in accents like this <laughs> that was very good yeah but yeah i i, I didn't uh i didn't communicate this well when i said that uh, eastwood is a journeyman i mean what exactly what you guys are talking about that it doesn't draw attention to itself that he doesn't use crane shots you know and chris you and i were talking earlier about him not showing the face of the bomber being yeah. such a like a, a you know, something that you really notice in the movie, the same way you never see Kevin Bacon's wife in Mystic River. It's just something that seems out of place because it's so much more stylistic than anything else happening in the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Me too. Any more thoughts, uh, Bill? No, I think I'm just struck by the... um, There's people that'll take it in a different way. For me, I I saw it um, kind of... uh, honorable scrappy you know don't don't put aside these people they're these people are not what you think when his friend um you know his buddy comes over and he's like no man i didn't wear a wire i'm i'm super good yeah and 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 those those four characters are together yeah um the kind of little guy that you might drive past or might have as you pointed out chris you might have some uh, assumed prejudices towards because of how they look and what the cultural signifiers that that we associate with them and like then that guy pipe bombs gophers i don't want to hang out with him <laughs> you know was back in west virginia when he was young maybe he was a cat like the guy in caddyshack maybe he was that you know <laughs> maybe it was his job but uh actually he's not unlike that he doesn't seem unlike yeah. that character another guy impressionable person yeah to behave aberrantly without a doubt so you know i i I appreciated the sort of outlaw nature of this kind of surprisingly to me formal movie i love the formality of it i thought it was much more you know sophisticated I, i mean again to know that that movie changed hands all those times 
all I can think about in the movie was like, how did he make another movie that's so, that looks so tight, so fast? How did he prep that so fast? And then knowing now what you told me that it went through all these hands of all these different directors, I thought impossible because this is exactly to his wheelhouse to the things that he likes. I wouldn't imagine any of those people having that sort of sensitivity. Um, I was really, I was really impressed and pleased. Me too. I really like this one. Um, it's not, it's not flawless like many of his films, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm just, I want, I want Clint to be, live to be 120. I want to see a movie from him every year until then. I could definitely live with that. I would be terribly pleased to have that be a situation. Now, Bill, this might not be a fair question to drop on you right now, but take your time thinking about it. But you get approached by a friend of yours who's like, I've never seen a, seen a Clint Eastwood movie before. There's only one Clint Eastwood movie. Ever. Let's hear it. There's well, only one. What do you show? What is it? There's only one Clint Eastwood movie, man. All right. Let's hear it. Bronco Billy. <laughs> that is the most gorgeous. I don't remember who said it. I want to say Sheila Benson. An affectionate um, satire on hero worship. That... Honestly, there's probably not a day that I don't think about Bronco Billy. I'm not lying to you. Like the scene when Sandra Locke, can I do spoilers? It's of course. Pretty, yeah, yeah. You know, when she spits out the pills that she's, she's, she was going to commit suicide or the beat where, you know, he's like, we're never going to get rid of Miss Lily, Miss Lily. And then he's like, ah, forget about her. She's bad luck. That never fails to just crack me up. Or when he when he's doing the knife throwing and he catches her in the in the calf with the knife, or the, when they're gonna hold up the stagecoach, or the scene in the the bank robbery. I mean, it is the scene where they're gonna rob the train. To me, that's Capra. I mean, not Capra. Excuse me, that's Chaplin. That's just pure visual comedy i love that movie and um i just think it's the sweetest sweetest movie excellent choice that just became my christmas movie man watching it on december 25th oh that's a good one man that's a very (laughs) heartwarming movie i think been looking for what i'm gonna watch it's gonna be that um you know and then there's some movies of his that i really don't like um Mm. um but that i love that movie how about you know i have to ask what about you guys? I ever since hearing Richard Stanley say that High Plains Drifter and Pale Rider are opposite sides of the same coin, one where he plays Satan and one where he plays God or an angel of God, it just like, seemed like the ultimate double feature to me. So it'd probably be that double feature is what I would show to a novice to Clint Eastwood, director and actor. I, I mean, I don't... <sighs> That's a tough answer, or that's a tough question. If you want to talk about problematic scenes, maybe we should be talking about High Plains Drifter. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they friendly rape. Anyway, Chris, what's your choice? I remember in Pale Rider. Have you seen him before? Am I I trying to? Oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 no. The the most painful part of me was that they didn't have, when I saw Pale Rider, I thought they were going to play the song that's in the trailer, Mm -hmm. which is which is the theme from, and it's just gave you my mind right now, but you know, another great Western and it's not in it. It's just in the trailer. And so you couldn't enjoy the movie because of that. I still love the movie, but I was waiting for <laughs> the music. Here. Am I trying to convince people that he's uh, a real movie star or that he's an interesting filmmaker? I think those are two different questions. I mean, don't you show them? It's true. They're two different questions, but I guess I meant as a director. As a director. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. As a director, that's a tougher one for me. I mean, I, I don't know. I, the one that's never seen any of his stuff before. I don't know. I don't I'd know be what you to do. say letters from Iwo Jima just because it's such a great movie. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm going like, don't you show them Unforgiven or A Perfect World? Don't you just pick like one of the best ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Or Bloodwork. Um, <laughs> it's hard to believe you made those two movies back to back, isn't it? Those are two pretty great. Crazy, movies. crazy. I don't know. I mean, I might say Bird because it's Ooh. such an interesting film and it's not what you expect him to be. I'm imagining somebody has a cultural awareness of Clint Eastwood, even if they haven't seen a Clint Eastwood movie. And that movie, I think, is a very fascinating film that defies your expectation for what you think Eastwood is in a way that I think would allow you to open your mind to his other work. That's fair. That's a good choice, yeah. Yeah. Nobody went with Breezy, I'm surprised. I've never seen it. I don't think anybody has. I've never Isn't seen it? Breezy. I remember watching Play Misty for me, which I had for years, I thought that was his first Her movie. Her name is Breezy. That's literally all I know about that movie is, that <laughs> is the fucking tagline. <laughs> um, I think, you know, there's a, that, there's a period, that weird period, like, like Hockey Talk Man, you know, and yeah, those, you know, that's, I'm, I would much lean much more towards that than a Firefox. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, but he's been an interesting, interesting director throughout much more towards the, And then there's those weird, like the heartbreak Ridge or pink Cadillac, but I like, I just watched every which way, but loose again, when I was prepping for the mule as well as any which way you can. Yeah. yeah. Those are fun. That's what I'm saying. If you're picking who's a movie star, something like that, you know, like, why is he a famous movie star? I think that there's a lot of fun choices. Those are his animal-based movies. <laughs> yes, they are. And they're really, there's just, they're, they're, they're so odd in terms of structure and beats and they're fascinating movies. And they have a, again, they're fringy, you know? He is yeah. a dude that's super comfortable just, you know, on the fringe. And I, that, that has not... There's a singularity of that vision, even in those movies. Yeah. You wouldn't pick his other animal movie, White Hunter, Black Heart? May I say, <laughs> that might be my second favorite Eastwood movie. It's very good. It's very good. I think uh, it's the opposite of what I'm saying with Bird, where I don't think it would defy your expectation of what Eastwood is. I think it might confirm it in some way if you are uh, uh, not predisposed to being interested in him. For some reason in this scenario, I'm imagining the person isn't interested in Eastwood. And that's a great, a great one. The scene, I mean, I love his Houston impression. I love the darkness of that movie. You know, just how like, wow, that is a bleak movie um and i like any movie with jeff fahey in a supporting role say that part about jeff again what was that any movie with jeff fahey in a supporting role is okay for, okay but I, I almost said something not that charitable but i don't <laughs> know not to do that i decided to just go with the charitable thing about you know clint and there's a one scene that just makes me laugh like crazy when he when he um criticizes the girl for for sympathizing with hitler and then he, he wants to fight the guy who who throws the racial slur out there and even in his defense of that he's kind of a boor yeah um, even though he's on the right side he's a boor exactly and that that theme leads us right back to where we were you know it does nice way to circle back around to it what i do well, we circled back around to the original themes of it. Yeah, you're with it. You did it on purpose. We're all okay. together. And and you know, he and Richard Jewell is is a, is a sweet guy, you know. And and, I, and he is entitled to be. He's certainly not a bore. He doesn't get anybody killed like Houston does. 
character. And, and he is, he has the right to be quirky and different. And that was really cool. Like the movie was like, it's a very anti Instagram, whatever, you know, this kind of, it's not, a, it's not an anti-modern movie, but it certainly celebrates you, you have the right. A pre-modern sensibility. No question. Yeah. Well, with that, I think we can wrap things up. Bill Tech, thank you. We're so glad that we uh, managed to come back around on Clint Eastwood with you because we were really bummed when we didn't get to talk to the mule. Yes, we are so happy to have you on, man. I'm so glad to have you on here, finally. I love the pink smoke. I'm a Patreon guy. Patreon guy. I dig it. I love what you guys do. I thank you for kind of giving me sustenance and good stuff to read and listen to. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, Bill. Anytime we can have a conversation with you, it is makes the uh, someone like you it makes the site all worth it. Thank Very you for the kind words, sir. Thank you for the patronage. Everything is greatly appreciated. You, what you guys are doing, what nobody else is doing, and you're and you're great at it. And thank you for the great stuff. Well, we have great guests like the great Bill Tech, and I hope we can draw you back someday for another subject. Yeah, talk about whatever you want, anytime you want, my man. The next Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> It's a date. Sounds good. <laughs>